Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Think Curiously podcast mini-series, The Weekly Stoic. It's kind of been a funny week for me of sorts, uh, which I'll discuss a little bit later on in the podcast, uh, one that my reflections and journaling have taken a slightly different direction from some of my previous uh, comments and, and reflections themselves. It's kind of deviated in a different path. For some reason, my commitment to the process has wavered slightly. A few weeks I was speaking with a friend who had started his own journaling and he mentioned that at one point he stopped himself mid-journal and said, stop lying to yourself. A powerful reminder to me that whenever I reflect, I need to be 100% with myself and within my own mindset of not putting down on paper what I think I should be and just writing purely whatever comes into my head about the, the given topic itself. So that's what I did. I stopped writing and I used his expression, stop lying to yourself. So because of that, I don't actually have a journal entry for the evening of February the 25th. So if you're only just new listening to this, what I would normally do is journal in the morning and journal, journal in, the, in the evening. So it's two, two a day. So the 25th of February is the first day in which, since I've started my journey, I've only got one journal entry. For whatever reason, I'm not too sure why it was. Maybe I was trying to force the thoughts through and I was just writing stuff that was just not making much sense. So rather than keep going, I just said, stop lying to yourself. Um, because I was aware that I did, I, I was able to do that. I was able then to continue on the next few days. And I actually felt that even leading up to 25th, my journals were good because we picked up on the 24th today. But even after that, they became a little bit more thoughtful because I was aware that if I start waffling on somewhere along the line, I just say to myself, stop lying to yourself. So yeah, interesting one and one that I'm sure we'll get into later on in a bit more depth. Though with that said, I have actually been contacted by another friend who has also started journaling and seen the power in that. And I'm delighted that he started that process because we've spoken back and forth about the idea about how to do it, about what it might give him. Um, so he's actually delved straight into that, which I'm proud to see that he's done that. Um, and over the next few weeks, I will actually have two guests coming on the show that will share their experiences of stoicism. I'm not too sure if they're doing a lot of journaling yet at the minute, but it'll be nice to get perspectives from other people on their understanding of stoicism and how it's helping them through certain life events or even just as a way of gaining a little bit more clarity. But if we move slightly on to the actual show itself, as always, I will be using The Daily Stoic, the book by Ryan Holiday, in which this podcast is based to help us navigate through a week's worth of stoic wisdom. As always, we will now look at one main character of the stoic journey, and we've looked at loads in the past. So we've looked at Zeno and Cleanthes, Chrysippus, Marcus Aurelius. So today we are going to have a look at uh, a guy called Diogenes. And Diogenes was the fifth leader of the Stoa. In 155 BC, he was sent to Rome as part of a philosophical diplomatic mission. Diogenes and other philosophers from rival schools were there to try to overturn a fine placed on Athens by the Roman Senate. Diogenes wore perfectly reasonable clothes and was capable of civil debate and discussion. He wasn't grand and opulent. He wasn't someone who would show off. He wasn't someone who would do things just to please others. He was a normal kind of guy, if you kind of put it like that, in, in those Roman, or those, those Stoic times. But what he was, or what he was not even, was he wasn't a challenger like Aristo uh, before him, and he definitely wasn't a fighter like Chrysippus was. He wasn't notably funny or 
even clever with his wit, but he was a brilliant thinker and able to communicate his ideas credibly. And I guess that's the reason why he was sent on a diplomatic mission, because he could articulate his point of views uh, to the point where other people would understand. He was a rising star in Stoic philosophy, making important contributions in the early days of Stoic thinking, including areas of diverse as linguistics and music, psychology, rhetoric and political philosophy. But the thing about Diogenes and what kind of encapsulates his input to the Stoic philosophy and the history of Stoicism was that on the day when they went to uh, present to the Roman Empire or the Roman Senate as it was about the reasons why Athens shouldn't have to pay this fine that was placed upon them, it was a bit of a shaky start because a few of the, the speakers before him were kind of self-indulgent. They were there for themselves and they were using phrasing and language and talking in, in ways in which they weren't really relatable to the audience. So after a shaky start, Diogenes was on hand then to take the reins of this philosophical diplomatic mission. So as we've said previously, he was a brilliant mind, but he was a gifted and strategic thinker. Diogenes might have argued that the harsh punishment would have been less beneficial to Rome than mercy because at the time Athens couldn't really afford the fine it would put upon them and it was kind of a show of strength by the Roman Senate at that stage. This diplomatic mission was kind of a way I suppose of Theogenes and other philosophers taking their wisdom to Rome and using it to fight with words in many ways and not try to upset the apple cart too much that it would force a war of some description. I don't think that was ever going to be the case but you never know back in those days. We are told that the Romans were in absolute awe of Diogenes' restraint and his sobriety with which he spoke. He was brilliant at what he did. And that would then make him become one of the greatest philosophers in the history of Stoicism, purely because of his ability to narrate his thoughts and encapsulate and engage with those people that he was speaking with. To the point that, yes, he might have been talking about complex situations and life scenarios and political spheres that maybe not a lot of people would understand, but he had this great ability with linguistics and rhetoric to be able to reduce that down to the point where you didn't have to understand any of those topics in depth to get what he meant. And I guess that's the reason why he's held up in such high regard now, if you ever wanted to dive a little bit deeper into any of these characters, because I literally I touch the surface each week and there's a lot more under the surface for you to find out about them. And if that's the case, you can pick up the book by Ryan Holiday called The Lives of the Stoics. And it's the book that I use to take some of those entries out of. And basically what it does, it goes through some of the main characters of the philosophy, tells you about their, their birth, where they're from, their career, and eventually then their death and what life lessons and what people they've brought along the way with them within that journey. So really an interesting book. Another one, again, by Ryan Holiday. But as I mentioned at the start of the show, this week has been a little bit weird for me in terms of my journaling and, and my understanding of my thoughts and my feelings. The fact that the fact that I missed out a journal entry um, kind of it made me think, well, is, is journaling becoming a burden on me? I mean, I do this because I want to understand my thoughts and feelings, but am I now getting to the point where it's like I'm trying to fit it in. And if that's the case, then that's not right. But I guess that that's to be expected in many ways until it becomes a habit embedded in my routine. I will waver from time to time. It's like when you start something new, you get all of that excitement and motivation at the very start. And it might last a few days and a few weeks and you're thinking this is great. But then I think reality hits home at some point to say, well, actually, this, this takes quite a bit of time. This takes quite a bit of planning. So I need to then think about how that affects everything else I do. 
So that's where I'm at with it, I guess. I guess I just have to understand that it's it's going to be a process whereby I need to get it embedded in my uh, my routine so it becomes habit and that it is just something that I do. The other thing is quite interesting though, because I've spoke to friends who have just started the, the, the journaling journey. It's quite hard to say that. But I'd actually suggest to them that you know if they can't write it down, it might be a good idea to put it in voice note. But I've never actually taken my own advice on that. So that might be something that I look at later on. And if I do find it challenging at times to get time to sit down and write what I'm thinking, I might just be able to pull up the phone, send a quick voice note to it, and then I'll be able to go back on that and reflect on that later. So yeah, I should take my own advice in that, I guess, shouldn't I? (laughs) Not getting too deep or turning this into a pity party of sorts. Uh, This week, I discuss my thoughts and feelings and emotions uh, in relation to page 64, February 24th of the Daily Stoic, titled The Real Source of Harm. And it starts with a passage from Epictetus. Keep in mind that it isn't the one who has it in for you and takes a swipe that harms you, but rather the harm comes from your own belief about the abuse. So when someone arouses your anger, know that it's really your own opinion fueling it. Instead, make it your first response not to get carried away by such impressions, for with time and distant self-mastery, it's more easily achieved. The Stoics remind us that there is really no such thing as an objectively good or bad occurrence. When a billionaire loses one million in market fluctuation, it's not the same as you and I if we were to lose a million dollars. Criticism from your worst enemy is received differently than negative words from a spouse. If someone sends you an angry email, but you never seen it, did it actually happen? In other words, these situations require our participation, context and categorization in order to be bad. Our reaction is what actually decides whether harm has occurred. If we feel we've been wronged and get angry, of course, that's how it will seem. If we raise our voice because we feel we're being confronted, naturally, a confrontation will ensue. But if we retain control of ourselves, we decide whether to label something good or something bad. In fact, if the same event happened to us different points in our lifetime, we might have very different reactions. So why not choose now to not apply these labels? Why not choose not to react? You know, whenever I sat down to write my journal entries after reading that, it was almost like the floodgates just opened. I started writing and by the time I'd finished, I couldn't make sense of what I'd written. So I went back over and I condensed my notes just a little bit. The question that was asked in the Daily Stoic Journal was, why am I telling myself I've been harmed? So here's what I came up with. A very relevant thought at the moment. I remind myself not to be the victim. Don't be anyone else's victim. I don't feel like I could come to any physical harm. It's the unseen psychological harm. That's the danger. If I continue to fight battles not worth fighting or pick battles not worth picking, harm will definitely ensue. Don't be someone else's victim. This is a phrase that I remind myself as I navigate through grievances that I'm currently going through at work. My actions, rightly or wrongly, were a self-defense mechanism. No amount of corporate jargon, meetings, sanctions will change my view on that. Being passive can be more harmful than being vocal. However, there are times when you need to rise to the challenge. Stop at nothing to protect yourself. But I guess that those times don't have to occur as regularly as I think they do. I therefore must control my perceptions. I must pick and choose when to do so. There is more clarity to be found here. I often feel like at times I think of myself as being cold or distant or disconnected and even at times unbreakable. Is that just a front? I think it is. I do notice when others around me don't offer the support or guidance that I'd hope for. But I also must remember that I can't expect others to act 
how I would like them to. I have no control over that. It comes back to being the no victim mentality. Can I live that mantra? That's the question. I think after listening to that, you can see why I had to go back and rewrite it. There's just so much wrapped up in it. I don't think you can ever deny the prevalence of the no victim mentality because I speak about that quite a few times. But my reflections over the recent weeks and definitely the one you've just heard really slammed that message home. This week is a pivotal one for me. Some big decisions have to be made and I guess that's where the thoughts might have come from. Somewhere stuck in the subconscious and built up over a number of days. Just to finish us off with this part of the pod, I'm going to leave you with this and allow you to draw your own conclusions. If actions are performed fueled by pent up emotions pertaining to grief and in that moment the individual can see the damage of their actions but feels powerless to control said actions, can the response be compared to one where the individual is in complete control, calm, thoughtful and precise with their responses? I'll give you an insight. According to the emotionless, cold, unempathetic, constitutionalised corporate world, there is no difference. They are both comparable. Thanks for tuning in up to this point. Hopefully I haven't lost you. Uh, and if you've got any feedback, as I've said previously, to any of the episodes you've just uh, that you've heard previous or even this one here, please do give us some feedback because it's great to hear that and we can include that in the show notes. But now we'll conclude this week's episode with seven days worth of Stoic wisdom taken from the book The Daily Stoic by Ryan Haldy, from which this podcast is based. February 19th, The Banquet of Life. Remember to conduct yourself in life as if it was a banquet. As something being passed around comes to you, reach out your hand and take a moderate helping. Does it pass you by? Don't stop it. It hasn't come yet. Don't burn in desire for it. But wait until it arrives in front of you. Act this way with children, a spouse, toward position and wealth. One day it will make you worthy of a banquet with the gods. The next time you see something you want, remember Epictetus' metaphor of life's banquet, as you find yourself getting excited, ready to do anything and everything to get it. The equivalent of reaching across the table and grabbing a dish out of someone's hand. Just remind yourself, that's bad manners and unnecessary. Then wait patiently for your turn. This metaphor has other interpretations too. For instance, we might reflect that we're lucky that we've been invited to such a wonderful feast. That would be gratitude. Or that we should take our time and savour the taste of what's on offer, enjoying the present moment. But that to stuff ourselves sick with food and drink serves no one, least of all our health. That at the end of the meal it's rude not to help those who host clean up and do the dishes. And finally, the next time it's your turn to host or treat others just as we had been treated, enjoy the meal. February 20th, the Grand Parade of Desire. Robbers, perverts, killers and tyrants. Gather for your inspection their so-called pleasures. It's never great to judge other people, but it's worth taking a second to investigate how life dedicated to indulging every whim actually works out. The writer Anne Lamott jokes in Bird by Bird, Ever wondered what God thinks of money? Just look at the people that he gives it to. The same goes for pleasure. Look how quickly the parting of a young starlet turns to drug addiction and a stalled career. Ask yourself, is that really worth it? Is it really that pleasurable? Consider that when you crave something or contemplate indulging in a harmless vice. February 21st. Wish not, want not. Remember that it's not only the desire for wealth and position that debases and subjugates us, but also the desire for peace, leisure, travel and learning. It doesn't matter what the external thing is. The value we place on it subjugates us to another. 
whether our heart is set, there our impediment lies. Surely Epictetus isn't saying that peace, leisure, travel and learning are bad, is he? Thankfully no, but ceaseless, ardent desire, if not bad, in and of itself, is fraught with potential complications. What we desire makes us vulnerable. Whether it's an opportunity to travel the world, or to be president, or for five minutes of peace and quiet, when we pine for something, we hope against hope. We set ourselves up for disappointment, because fate can always intervene and then we're likely to lose our self-control in our response. As Diogenes, the former cynic, once said, it is the privilege of the gods to want nothing, and of the godlike man to want little. To make nothing makes one invincible, because nothing lies outside your control. This doesn't just go for not wanting the easy to criticise things like wealth or fame, the kinds of folly that we see illustrated in some of the most classic plays and fables. The green light that Gatsby strove for can represent seemingly good things too, like love or a noble cause, but it can wreck someone all the same. When it comes to your goals and the things you strive for, ask yourself, am I in control of them or are they in control of me? February 22nd, what's better left unsaid? Caro practiced the kind of public speech capable of moving the masses, believing proper political philosophy takes care like any great city to maintain the warlike element. But he was never seen practicing in front of others, and no one has ever heard him rehearse a speech. When he was told that people blamed him for his silence, he replied, Better they not blame my life. I begin to speak only when I'm certain what I'll say isn't better left unsaid. It's easy to act to just dive in. It's harder to stop, to pause, to think, no, I'm not sure I need to do that yet. I'm not sure I'm ready. As Caddo entered politics, many expected swift and great things from him, stirring speeches, roaring condemnations, wise analysis. He was aware of this pressure, a pressure that exists on all of us all of the time. And he resisted. It's easy to pander to the mob and our ego. Instead, he waited and prepared, He parsed his own thoughts, made sure he was not reacting emotionally, selfishly, ignorantly, or prematurely. Only then would he speak, when he was confident that his words were worthy of being heard. To do this requires awareness. It requires us to stop and evaluate ourselves, honestly. Now, can you do that? February 23rd. Circumstances have no care for our feelings. You shouldn't give circumstances the power to rouse anger, for they don't care at all. A significant chunk of Marcus Aurelius' meditations is made up of short quotes and passages from other writers. This is because Marcus wasn't necessarily trying to produce an original work. Instead, he was practicing, reminding himself here and there of important lessons, and sometimes these lessons were things that he'd read. This particular quote is special because it comes from a play by Aripides, which, except for a handful of quoted fragments like this, is lost to us. From what we can gather about the play, Billy Fron, the hero, comes to doubt the existence of the gods. But in this line he is saying, why bother getting mad at causes and forces far bigger than us? Why do we take these things personally? After all, external events are not sentient beings. They cannot respond to our shouts and our cries, and neither can the mostly insignificant and different gods. That's what Marcus was reminding himself here. Circumstances are incapable of considering or caring for our feelings, your anxiety, or your excitement. They don't care about your reaction. They're not people. So stop acting like getting worked up is having an impact on the given situation. Situations themselves, they don't care. Because we talked about February 24th and recited that in the main body of the podcast, we now skip to February 25th. 
The Smoke and Dust of Myth Keep a list before your mind of those who burned with anger and resentment about something. Of even the most renowned for success, misfortune, evil deeds or any special distinction. Then ask yourself, how did that work out? Smoke and dust? The stuff of simple myth trying to be legend? In Marcus Aurelius' writings, he consistently points out how the emperors who came before him were barely remembered just a few years later. To him, this was a reminder that no matter how much he conquered, no matter how much he inflicted his will on the world, it would be like the building a castle in the sand, soon to be erased by the winds of time. The same goes for those driven to the heights of hate or anger or obsession or perfectionism. Marcus liked to point out that Alexander the Great, one of the most passionate and ambitious men who ever lived, was buried in the same ground as his mule driver. Eventually, all of us will pass away and slowly be forgotten. We should enjoy this brief time we have on earth, not be enslaved to emotions that make us miserable and dissatisfied.